This is sort of like the tech version of the United Nations. Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. And I'm Cody Toombs. And today we're back talking about Internet Explorer once more. We're on part six, I think. Oh, hey. Well, our parts have caught up to the version number, so that's a win. That's true. This is like that one segment where Fahrenheit and Celsius are the same number. It's going to diverge yes. again, but that's it's good <laughs> we got here. So in the last episode, we, we finally finished talking about the antitrust lawsuit, which resulted in basically nothing happening. So that's cool. And now we're getting back to talking about the browser itself and also what some of the competition is doing, because we've been ignoring that a little bit. We're not going to go too deep into all of this because a lot of the side characters in this story could have multi-part series on their own. And I'm trying really hard to get this series in in less than like 50 episodes. So um, we gotta we got to speed past some of this. In June of 2002, America Online, or AOL, confirmed it was testing a replacement for Internet Explorer. We talked about in previous episodes how AOL had existed, I believe, before Internet Explorer was a thing. Um, yes. Okay. We were talking about how AOL was bundling Internet Explorer with its internet package for a while, and they recommended using it whenever you used AOL. But in 1999, AOL finished acquiring Netscape. So there was kind of an underlying assumption that maybe they would use their own web browser as the preferred option for their internet services instead of Internet Explorer. By this point, Internet Explorer was by far the most dominant web browser. So AOL switching to Netscape or something based on Netscape wouldn't have been a huge major change in the browser market, but it could have encouraged more standards-compliant web development that would benefit other non-IE browsers. Microsoft and AOL Time Warner Inc., which was the owner of Netscape at the time, reached a deal in May of 2003, so a little less than a year after that confirmation, which ended years of lawsuits and other legal action between those two companies. This deal had a bunch of stuff in it. The main thing was that Microsoft agreed to pay $750 million to drop AOL's antitrust lawsuit. The deal that allowed AOL to bundle Internet Explorer was renewed, and I believe they didn't have to pay any royalties after that point. And also AOL could license Windows Media Player for their own stuff. And AOL was also given greater access to Windows APIs. So we talked about in the last episode how part of the whole antitrust thing was that Internet Explorer and Microsoft's apps had access to undocumented APIs that weren't easily usable by other apps that made Microsoft's apps better. And this deal allowed AOL to use some of those. This partnership was widely seen as the end of Netscape Navigator because at this point, AOL was choosing Internet Explorer over Netscape. And at this point, Netscape had so little market share that if it never got that, then it was pretty much just gone. Yeah. And realistically, by that time, people had tuned out Netscape. It was well, even... Even the people who wanted to see it succeed were kind of 
losing interest because it the the development had slowed down. I don't remember how quickly new versions were coming out, but they definitely didn't feel that uh, invested anymore. And so much of Netscape had become the classic like bloated software. So yeah, I I haven't read too much into how AOL was operating at the time to like be super certain about this, but just based on that timeline, it does kind of feel to me that Netscape was just the internal backup option in case AOL couldn't get a royalty-free license deal with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that gave them a pretty good negotiating position in those deals where they could go to Microsoft and be like, look, we have a competitor, but if you give us your thing for free, we won't use it. Yeah. So that was in May of 2003, and it was kind of a bummer. But on July 15th of 2003, Mozilla officially took over development of Netscape from AOL. Mozilla had been founded in 1998 by some former Netscape staff after the company released the source code for the web browser. On July 15th, 2003, Mozilla Foundation was created as a nonprofit that would continue developing web browsers and related technologies where Netscape left off. America Online pledged $2 million to the Mozilla Foundation, and they also contributed some domain names, trademarks, intellectual property, uh, stuff like that. And also, uh, Red Hat and Sun Microsystems were early contributors to the foundation. Mozilla had already been developing the Mozilla Application Suite, which was a continuation of Netscape Communicator, because back at this point, Netscape wasn't just a web browser. It was like this whole package that also had an email client and a couple other small things. Yeah, that's what I meant by bloated. <laughs> yeah, so they were, Netscape was working on that. So the open source version of that was just called Mozilla. And then eventually the web browser part of that gets uh, cut out and turns into Firebird, which eventually becomes Firefox. So that's pretty cool. You know, the, the whole Netscape, like just suddenly dying thing is not, well, not suddenly, but the whole Netscape dying thing isn't super cool, but I will give AOL some credit in that they allowed Firefox to happen. Like th this could have very easily ended with Netscape shutting down and it's like, all right, that's it. No, no, there's no more competing web browsers anymore. We're just going to lock away the code in a closet. But instead they, they actually gave money and some resources to Mozilla to help get it started. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I would almost describe it as sort of like a zombie mode kind of thing. Because from the scraps of the thing that died, the new thing eventually did kind of emerge. Yeah, or like a it's like a going away present. Like, all right, mm -hmm. we're, yeah. we're we're done with you, but here's some money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're hoping someday you will be a thorn in the side of Internet Explorer. Yeah. And when the Mozilla Foundation was created and AOL gave it some money, around that same time, AOL laid off most of the developers that were working on Netscape or transferred them to other positions in AOL. So some of those people went to go work for Mozilla, some people went to do other stuff. But that's really the end of Netscape. And the, the last few versions of Netscape, it keeps getting a few updates after this, but it's just a skin of Firefox. Like it's using the open source Firefox rendering engine. 
So that's what's going on with Firefox. Uh, one month earlier, in June of 2003, Apple released the first version of the Safari web browser. Got something totally new for you now. What is this? It's a totally new application. It's called Safari. And it is a turbo browser for Mac OS X. We have done our own browser, and it's hot. It's the first major new browser in five years, and it's sweet. Now, Safari is based on standards. It's very modern technology. We base Safari on an HTML rendering engine that is open source. About half the code in Safari is this open source rendering engine. Now. We started working with this open source code base over a year ago, and it needed a lot of improvement. We've dramatically improved the performance. Some things are up to an order of magnitude faster. And some people have a problem with open source. We think it's great. We think it is great. And we are going to be putting all of our improvements to this code base. We're going to be posting them on the web today. The code base that we decided to start with was KHTML. It's very popular in the Linux world, and it was a very well-architected HTML rendering engine that is now dramatically improved, and the HTML rendering engine in Safari, we have built an incredible browser around it. We could not be happier. Safari was intended to replace Internet Explorer on the Mac after the company's deal with Microsoft was over. Uh, you might remember from an earlier episode when we watched Steve Jobs be booed on stage after <laughs> announcing that IE would be the default browser on Mac in exchange for Microsoft giving Apple a buttload of money. But that was over now, and now we got Safari. Safari used the WebKit rendering engine, which Apple based on the KHTML engine from the KDE project, which gave it a different code base than either Internet Explorer or Mozilla. I think there was some speculation that Safari was going to use Firefox code or at least like some rendering stuff, but it, it just Apple went in a different direction, which was kind of surprising. Safari was exclusive to Mac OS X, so it wasn't a direct threat to Internet Explorer because it wasn't on any of the same platforms. But the WebKit codebase that Apple was now developing would eventually be used in other projects. Uh, hint, hint. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what we call foreshadowing. <laughs> Meanwhile, Internet Explorer 6 started to become well-known for its security problems. Boy, howdy was it. Yeah. Internet Explorer was by far the most popular web browser. Around this time, it had upwards of 90% market share. So it was a frequent target for hackers and security researchers. And it makes sense that it had this many security issues. Like if you go look at the kind of the, the current version of this is like Google Chrome. If you go look at the change logs for Google Chrome, there's like a massive security vulnerability that gets discovered like once or twice a month. But Google is much better at fixing those in a speedy fashion than Microsoft was at this time. Google 
to its immense credit here, really, really pushed the notion of we're just going to update the browser whether you like it or not. Yeah. And at that stage, I mean, Microsoft, yes, obviously had Microsoft update and it did push out updates, but they were always on a more rigorous schedule. And a lot of times, yeah, they really waited a very long time to push out some usually often critical updates. So things like classically zero day exploits would come popping out and anyone who followed this stuff would see it and be like, okay, well, I guess for the next three months, I'm vulnerable to this. I need to be careful. And yeah, that would, that just was the norm. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we get later that really help minimize security issues and also push out updates much more quickly. Right at this point, we didn't have sandboxing. Internet Explorer 6 had no sandboxing. I, I think it got some degree of that in a later update, but IE6 at the start had no sandboxing. So it was very easy for malicious web pages to break out of the web browser and cause issues or interact with other web pages that might be open. Uh, you know, like you said, there was no auto updating stuff. Uh, we still had ActiveX at this point, <laughs> which was not great that just consistently caused problems for its entire lifetime. I might be misremembering this, but I want to say that they even supported things like cross-tab JavaScript interaction because they had this whole idea that they wanted people to be able to like click on a button, have a pop-up appear in some other spot, like a small utility pop-up, and have it interact with the main page, and you'd be able to move them around and do stuff like that. And... Yeah, so the problem is they didn't even cordon that off properly. So you could have JavaScript on one page screwing with a completely unrelated page. Yeah, it's it was it was not good. And when you have a not all that secure piece of software running on 90% of PCs that are using the web, that's you're going to get hacked. Mm -hmm. That's just going to happen. So I'm going to read a July 2003 article from the Associated Press. They said, quote, It's been a bad week for many users of Microsoft Corporation's nearly ubiquitous Internet Explorer browser. A pair of virus attacks exploiting its vulnerabilities has led to security experts to recommend that web surfers consider such alternatives as Mozilla and Opera. Continuing to use Internet Explorer is like playing the lottery said one chief technology officer of the nonprofit SANS Internet Security Center. The respected research center is among security groups recommending other browsers as long as the key vulnerability in IE remains unfixed, leaving it capable of running malicious code that's been hidden at a number of popular websites. Switching browsers may cause problems, but less so than following Microsoft's temporary prescription of cranking up security settings, which may cripple the ability to access multimedia content or web forms. Last week, a computer virus designed to steal valuable information as web users typed it into their computers, like passwords, spread through a new technique that converted popular websites into virus transmitters. And this week, researchers discovered another password-stealing program hidden behind pop-up ads. Microsoft was still working to fix a lingering vulnerability from last week's virus, and while a repair for the flaw enabling this week's Trojan infection was issued in April, many users had yet to patch their systems. 
IE is a frequent target for hacking because of its popularity. Website Story Inc. says 95% of surfers use it globally. The browser is closely integrated with Microsoft's Windows operating system and Outlook email program, creating more room for programming error and making solutions more difficult. A major Windows XP upgrade known as a service pack is due out this summer and would plug some holes in IE. Last week's outbreak would not have occurred if those software plugs had been installed, said Gary Scher, a Microsoft security director. Microsoft is also developing a specific fix for the new vulnerability, but Scher said testing takes time. He called it premature for independent security experts to recommend that people explore alternatives. Which is sort of like telling people, hey, your car is a problem. You should find an alternative. (laughs) At the time, there weren't. People did not conceive much of alternatives at this stage. I said earlier that Safari wasn't really an alternative because it wasn't on Windows, but the Opera browser was, and Firefox was slowly gaining momentum. Like Every time there's one of these stories coming out about a major security flaw, Firefox either gets mentioned or it gets just outright recommended. Like People are like, just download Firefox instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really helps boost Firefox early on. And also, it was just better. <laughs> it was it was <laughs> better in most ways than IE. Yeah, there is that. So security vulnerabilities aren't great, um, but also Internet Explorer 6 had a laundry list of technical limitations, some of which were understandable when it was released in 2001, but became increasingly bad as IE 6 lived on. Like, we'll get to this later, but Internet Explorer 7 does not come out until October 2006. So this one version of IE exists for five years. And it it doesn't really get any major changes to how it renders web pages in that time. Okay, so the thing is, to keep in mind, basically this meant that the web had gone into sort of a standstill. Yes. Well, web development had gone into a standstill. People were sort of shoehorning a lot of new functionality or efforts to make new functionality into JavaScript. People were, they had done everything they conceivably could with CSS and obviously HTML was HTML. It it really didn't have much, have much growth left to be done just by ingenuity. So these things were obviously just kind of in stasis. And so the funny thing is you also had working groups that were trying to develop another, like updates to all three of these things, which, you know, everyone looked at and there were, there were a lot of hopeful people. There were also a lot of people who looked at that and said, yeah, it's great. You're promising JavaScript 2.0 and it's going to have all these awesome features. None of it will ever happen because Internet Explorer. Yeah, And at that point, everyone knew it's because of Internet Explorer. The hope was that someday Microsoft would pick it up and find interest in it again. But no one really knew for sure. So there are many, many problems with Internet Explorer 6, but I'll, I'll highlight a few that seem to be the worst. First, Internet Explorer 6 did not fully support CSS version 2, which was how a lot of websites were styled. So... What happened most of the time is popular websites would have one style sheet specifically for Internet Explorer 6 and another for every other web browser. 
So basically, if, if you were making a website at this time, you were writing a big chunk of your code twice. You were making a site for IE6 and another site for everything else. Also, Internet Explorer 6 did not support transparency in PNG images. There were some hacks around this, but that was getting to be really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I oh god I remember that and so all anyone did was just use gifs yeah and um, also it was very easy to crash Internet Explorer with malformed HTML or JavaScript code so uh, if you're using Internet Explorer 6 and you have a bunch of windows open and you're really busy and you go to one website that wasn't coded perfectly uh, your your browser crashed and you lose everything so that's really fun Another fun part is that there was no pop-up blocker at all until Windows XP Surface Pack 2, which wasn't released until 2004. And because it was part of a Surface Pack, I don't think that feature came to versions of Internet Explorer before XP. So like IE6 was also available for like Windows 2000. I don't think that ever came back. And again, that was something Firefox had. So yeah, those were all really annoying for both people using Internet Explorer and people trying to make websites for Internet Explorer. In April 2005, software engineer Ian Hickson released the ACID2 Web Standards Test, which highlighted how bad Internet Explorer was at Web Standards compliance. This test had been proposed by some people in the web development community, including the chief technology officer at Opera, as a test to evaluate how a web browser handled the latest HTML and CSS standards. Basically, how this test worked is that you would load a page in the web browser, and it would render a yellow smiley face using a bunch of different HTML and CSS elements. And if your web browser was like modern and working with all the latest standards, it would just show a normal yellow smiley face. But if you're Internet Explorer 6, uh, it was like a very malformed smiley face. It's funny because it, the problem with when that came out is it was kind of like today or recently when people were shaming celebrities for using private jets. Most of them don't care. <laughs> it, most of the people who use private jets don't actually care that you're trying to shame them. And for the most part, Microsoft obviously sat there going, oh, hey, somebody made a thing trying to embarrass us. Oh, well. Yeah. So, you know, it obviously has an effect. There are developers out there that cared. No sh no question to it. But it it, it didn't... It, things like this have an impact, but the impact is small and takes a very, very long time to manifest into something meaningful. Yeah, like... Also to that point, I believe when this test was released, no web browser passed. So it was like a it was like a benchmark you would hit eventually. It was like a goal. This was an early form of test-driven development. Yes. The test came out and then every web browser's goal was like, okay, eventually we will get a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm going to read a part of a blog post by Hakon Viem Lee. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was the chief technology officer at Opera. So this is what he said in March 2005. 
To ensure that Internet Explorer 7 does not become another failed promise, the web community will issue a challenge to Microsoft. We will produce a test page, codenamed ACID2, that will actively use web features web designers crave, such as fixed positioning of elements. Fixed positioning is described in the W3C's CSS2 recommendation, to which Microsoft has a, quote, deep commitment, quote. However, fixed positioning has been supported for years by all modern web browsers, except IE for Windows. Other features are partially supported in IE, but designers enter a minefield of bugs when trying to use those features. All software has bugs, and a major part of software development is to clear the minefield. Microsoft, however, hasn't fixed bugs in IE for four years, and important features therefore remain unusable. Microsoft now has the chance to redeem itself with regard to web interoperability. All it needs to do is make sure IE7 passes the ACID2 test before shipping. The ACID2 test will be sponsored by the Web Standards Project, which is a grassroots coalition fighting for web standards. Its integrity is unchallenged in the web community, and its presence will ensure that ACID2 will be fair for all. It might even smoke out some bugs in other web browsers. Quote. It's admirable. Yeah. It's a nice effort. <laughs> Narrator. It didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> Microsoft's response to that was that they were working towards better standards compliance, but it was trying to balance that with not breaking web pages made for earlier versions of IE, which I I guess is a little bit of a reason, but mostly because IE has been terrible for years. Yeah, so, we broke it. Yeah. <laughs> we broke it, and now our excuse for not fixing it is because we, if we fix it, it breaks it. Yeah. And also, Internet Explorer, are, I think, already had something called Quirks Mode, where... yeah. Ugh, basically it mode. would like try to auto detect what version of ie a page was made for and also a page could explicitly say i was made for this version and then the browser would basically use an old engine to render the page chris wilson from microsoft said quote in that vein i've seen a lot of comments asking if we will pass the acid 2 browser test published by the web standards project when ie 7 ships I'll go ahead and relieve the suspense by saying we will not pass this test when IE7 ships. The original ACID test tested only the CSS1 box model and actually became part of the test suite since it was a fairly narrow test, but the ACID2 test covers a wide set of functionality and standards, not just from CSS2.1 and HTML4.01, selected by the authors as a wish list of features they'd like to have. It's pointedly not a compliance test, as a wish list, it is really important and useful to my team, but it isn't even intended, in my understanding, as our priority list for IE7. Quote. That's a, that is such a neat way of saying, my manager told us <laughs> we don't care. Not to dive too deep into the different aspects, not just ACID2, but the broader sense of standards. At that time, there was kind of a big, there was a big understanding of, among web developers that it's nice that all these people were saying that they wanted things but everyone knew that if if microsoft didn't do it it just wasn't going to happen right this is i don't know if this is a, a more useful analogy or not than what we've said already but this is sort of like the tech version of the united nations <laughs> where yes. a bunch of countries are like 
hey, this would be really cool. I, we're going to work towards this. We, we'd like it to be a rule for everyone. But if the United States or Russia or China says no, it doesn't happen. Like, this is basically what's going on. Yeah. The first web browser to pass that ACID2 test was Safari uh, on version 2.0.2 in October 2005. And that was followed shortly afterwards by Conqueror, Opera, and Firefox. Internet Explorer did not pass that test until IE8 in March 2009. <laughs> it, it's nice that they tried. <laughs> They're so bad at this. <laughs> well, they weren't trying to be good at this. I know. <laughs> That's the catch. Maybe to some people listening to this, it might seem like we spent way too much time talking about the Monopoly stuff, but like... It all ties back into this, where if you have 90% of the browser market, you're not going to try that much to get better. You're already at the top of the hill. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you know, that, that fun little acid test you guys made. All right, that's cool. You know, we'll, we'll maybe get to that at some point. Yeah. So five years after Internet Explorer 6 was released, we got Internet Explorer 7 on October 18th of 2006. The update was released first for Windows XP, and then a few months later when Windows Vista came out, it was the default web browser for Vista. IE7 was a pretty big update. I would expect that much after five years, but it added tabbed web browsing, which at that point had already been available on Firefox, Opera, and Safari, uh, as well as a redesigned toolbar. RSS support had been gaining popularity around this time, so IE7 included a built-in RSS reader. That's maybe one feature from IE7 that I wish modern web browsers all had. IE7 also had better web standard support. Again, I, I, I would sure hope it did. But it still wasn't fully compatible with CSS 2.1, HTML4, SVG 1.1, and some JavaScript features. One of the major security improvements here was that ActiveX components could no longer run by default. So that's good. We finally figured that out, that that was a bad idea. But Internet Explorer 7 was only available on Windows XP Service Pack 2 or later, which meant dropping support for Windows ME and earlier versions of Windows. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a little bit of CNET's review of Internet Explorer 7 from the time. They said, quote, There are a lot of changes within Internet Explorer 7, though not as many as we'd hoped, and certainly some that are merely cosmetic. Missing are innovative cutting-edge features such as search engine suggestions, live feeds within bookmarks, inline spell-checking, and session restore features offered within Firefox 2, or thumbnail tab previews, desktop widgets, or voice, which can read web pages aloud, which are offered by Opera 9. Given a proposed 18-month development cycle for the next release of Internet Explorer, IE7 was Microsoft's one chance to leapfrog ahead of the competition, but the company has only barely caught sight of its current frontrunners. That said, everyone should upgrade to IE7 when offered the chance, even if you never intend to use it. Because Internet Explorer is so tightly bound within Windows XP2, for example, if you view an HTML document in Microsoft Word, you're using the IE engine, it's better to have the improved code with an IE7 running on your system than not. But for a truly secure internet browser with more features, we still recommend Mozilla Firefox. Quote. Loosely translated, you're stuck with this thing, so even if you hate it, uh, you should update it. 
And then once you've updated it, don't use it at all. Yeah. And um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we're past the point now where Internet Explorer had started to decline in users, mostly because of Firefox, a little bit of Opera, and also because a lot of people on Mac were now using Safari. So we're now in the decline of Internet Explorer. It's still what almost everyone used because it was on every computer that people received, short of Macs and the random few people who installed Linux. And it was... It, most people did not think to go out and get another browser. It, like the normal person, the average user. Yeah, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but even going back to the 90s, there are a lot of web pages that were specifically designed for IE and would not work in any other web browser. So yes. like if you're like someone using some of those sites, you're probably just going to use IE all the time because it's it's kind of a pain to switch back and forth. People now expect that today most sites are updated and maintained fairly rigorously. Back then, people wrote a site and didn't touch it again for a decade. Mm -hmm. The year before that, that was uh, that's where I had a development job where I I actually sat there and I had to argue with management that they should be supporting more than Internet Explorer. And this this was a this was a mainstream company and they only cared about Internet Explorer. So we had actual arguments about supporting other things. And I was sitting there on the side of like, it doesn't hurt to it doesn't hurt to support something else. It doesn't hurt to make our site work with more browsers because eventually like here are the trend lines. I can show you other browsers are coming up, particularly Firefox. And they were looking at it like, well, sure, Firefox may be coming up, but Internet Explorer is still here. So we only care about that. Fortunately, there was enough support within the company that at least nobody argued when I kind of casually did a little bit of improvement. Didn't have to hide away a copy of Firefox. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Which fortunately, Firefox was actually a lot better for development purposes because a very, very popular extension at the time called Firebug. I'm sure people have heard of this. But yeah, Firebug was so much better for JavaScript debugging. And it really just, it, there was nothing for Internet Explorer that even came close. Yeah, so that's where we're going to leave it, I think, for this this time. We've made it to Internet Explorer 7. Uh, it only took many hours of podcasting. <laughs> oh, and it'll take many more. Yeah. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Uh, not at the moment. Just come follow me on the socials. Yes, and TechTales is on Twitter at TechTales Show. And on Mastodon at techtales at mas.to. The links for those are in the show notes. The sources are also in the show notes, along with links to support the show if you'd like to do that. The official subreddit is r slash podcast, where you can discuss episodes with other listeners. And thanks for joining us today. And we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.